All right, we are starting a new series today called Rules of Engagement. And uh, the genesis of it, really, it's all about conflict resolution, but one of the things that I really find fascinating is military uh, engagement, how they go about that process, they define the different levels. And at the end of the day, I mean, every officer would tell you that force is not the first option, but it is an option. And so in conflict resolution, we can apply rules of engagement scripturally based on God's word and how we use it in our everyday lives. So over the next three weeks, here's what we want to do. I talked a little about this in the first hour, but this first week is about interpersonal conflict resolution. What does that look like in my everyday world? Then next week, how do I engage when there's conflicts with authority and in the workplace? And then week three, my father-in-law was in here He's six foot four, 226, and I say this because he's my wife's dad, and it's going to be a message called He Said, She Said. My wife gets 15 minutes to say anything she wants about me, our marriage, and conflict, and then I get my turn for 15 minutes. But I also said that my father-in-law is six foot four, 220-something pounds, and if I say anything that's too off, he'll let me know. So in three weeks... Uh, we'll be dealing with that issue right before Valentine's. But uh, the point being is, is that I think people need to get set free in the areas of conflict resolution. Would you agree? Now, how do I deal with anger, injustice? Is it wrong to be angry? Healthy conflict. How do I, how do, I do that? Because on the one hand, there seems to be conflicting messages out there. On the one hand, you know, well, we're supposed to turn the other cheek, which we're going to get to. And then well, when do you resist evil and how does that work? So we're going to talk about some of those tensions. But let's start with our master text, Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. If you're turning in your Bibles, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Put it up on the screen there. It says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Now, it's interesting that it says work for peace. That implies that it's work. And so it's not something that we can just sit back and idly hope for. We have a part to play in the story. And here's the thing about life. Would you agree that life can be messy? It can be a little complicated. And not only do I have issues, but you have issues. And when your issues collide with my issues, we have issues. Would you agree? So how do we handle those conflicts? That's the key question that I want to address today. Now, Matthew 5.39 gives us one side of the equation. And when I talk about conflicting messages, the word does not, the word is pure, it's true, it's 100% fact. But would you agree that sometimes the way we interpret this word is critical in how we live it out? So in instance, if you get a faulty belief and a faulty interpretation of what the word said, for instance, if it says all things are mine and I believe that, hello, Houston, we have a problem. If I read that out of, uh, in, in misinterpretation, no, not all things are Ryan's, you know. There's days when he wishes there would be. But, you know, the reality is, is that in the Bible, there's things, there's messages that we need to to read and know in its context. So here's one I want to address. Matthew 5, starting with verse 39. It says, but I say to you, do not resist the evil man who injures you. But if anyone strikes you on the right jaw or cheek, turn to him the other one too. Now, this is a little boy. I would hear this and I would think, my goodness. You know, so does that mean when I go to school and little Johnny wants to beat the snot out of me and does, that I'm just supposed to sit there and take it? Well, here's the, the, the resolution that I came to. My dad was a pastor, and I would ask him this question. He said, son, if little Johnny comes at you, you knock his block off. My dad was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. Now, now that doesn't sound real, Jan, that doesn't sound real spiritual, does it? 
Well, that's what you would say. Okay. You, Jan, Pastor Jan, she has a great gift of confrontation, right? She, she thrives on it. She'd tell you that, you know, but now, so going back to, now here's the cool part. Now my dad would say, son, and if you can't handle it, I will. Do you know that you have a daddy in heaven who wants to fight your battles? who wants to get engaged in your conflicts. But the thing is, is that instead of running from conflict, we need to engage conflict. Now, here's the thing. There's three types that I think how to deal with this. Number one, we can stuff it. Number two, we can scream it. And number three, we can resolve it. And I, I can tell you that uh, on both sides of the equation, I've, I've been the stuffer. I've stuffed it, meditated on it, built a shrine around it, and thought it was never going to end. And finally, one day, I explode. That's not right. The screamer has an opinion on everything and lets you know within three seconds how you're wrong, how they're wrong, and how the whole world would be better if they just did what I asked them to do. So screamers and stuffers are not wrong. How, do, how many understand that there's a time to hold them and a time to fold them based on what the Holy Spirit tells you to do in that situation? So let's not build doctrines and say, well, we'll just sit down and passively let evil run roughshod. No, James 4 says we need to resist evil, Correct. But how is it Jesus said, now turn the other cheek when an evil man tries to take what's yours? What gives? Do you see the tension here? Okay, so here's the problem, is that we, we don't understand the context, there's that word again, of what Jesus was saying. So when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was saying, hey, listen, when you're out there spreading the gospel, if people are saying malicious, evil things about you, you know, the term slapping the other cheek, that was an insult in their day. Culturally, that was an insult. So what he's saying is, this isn't about evil running roughshod. This is about a, like that. It's not about resisting evil in that sense that we would say, if a, if a rapist came into my daughter's house and tried to take her, guess what's going to happen to that rapist? I'm going to resist that sucker, you know? And so my expectation for you is to understand being spirit-led, cultivated through the heart of God when to hold them, when to fold them, when to stand against evil, when you always stand against evil, but how to engage in conflict. So basically, the message is, I'm going to teach you how to fight. A little bit of testosterone coming out, but are you getting this? Okay? Fight properly and biblically. So it says in Matthew 5.39, we understand that we need to turn the other cheek. But he's, he's saying really, and I wrote this down in my notes, he's really challenging, Jesus is, our desire for personal vindication. He is not, and I repeat, not advocating abuse. He is telling us that when we're insulted for the gospel, when we're going about doing good, destroying the works of the enemy, that people will do things to, 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 to harm you and to bring your down your demise. But understand, who do we fight? Do we fight people? No, we fight spiritual forces in heavenly places that manipulate and use people as mouthpieces for the enemy. And what I'm trying to say is, is, that, is that we've all probably, if we're honest, and that's my expectation of this culture here is to be honest, uh, we've all been mouthpieces for the enemy. We've all stuffed it probably at some point and screamed it. And really, the toughest choice is just to flat out resolve it. But how do I do that? And that's the key. That's what I want to touch on today and in the next couple of weeks. So Romans 12 says this. Romans 12 verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So there's the instruction. We're to live at peace with everyone. But notice, does it say, it says, if possible. Does that mean that there's times when peace isn't possible? 
Let's camp on that because that's true. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think if we're all honest, we've been in conflicts and situations, and let me just say this flat out, you can't fix it. Only God can. But God's got to marinate on their heart while he's marinating on yours. And so there's times when we have to sit back and let God go to work. We'll give you some more of those tips here in a little bit. But if possible, live at peace with everyone. Now, peacekeeping and peacemaking are two totally different things. A peacekeeper lets evil, lets things run roughshod over you for the sake of maintaining peace. I don't want conflict because it makes me feel icky. But peacekeeping and peacemaking are two totally different things. A peacemaking says, I will address that uncomfortable, icky situation if God is asking me to do it. It means confrontation. And that is the right thing to do. But sometimes we enable bad behavior and we get mad at someone else. Well, they, they did this to me. Well, did you let them? That's, that's, I mean, did, did we let them abuse you? And so that's, a, that's something I want to talk about a little bit later too. But I want to move on to conflict resolution and how it relates to the church, interpersonal relationships, and obviously globally. I mean, if the United States of America had not took a stand against England years ago, we wouldn't be here like this. If the United States of America hadn't took a stand against Hitler, we wouldn't be here today. Do you understand this? We have, a, we have a, an armed forces out there that are trying to get the other free world to understand that freedom isn't free. We have to fight. And so, just like in a military conflict, we have to engage in spiritual conflict. So, interpersonal relationships, the primary focus for today, that's what I want to talk about. Now, here's the question. How do I deal with anger when someone hurts me? Let me show you a video of what not to do. Y'all shut up now. Now, last week, we talked about the physiology of the animal brain as it pertains to aggression. Now, is there anyone here that can tell me why most alligators are abnormally aggressive? I know the answer to this question. Raise your hand. Anybody? Anyone? Yes or you, sir? Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) Your mama said Alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anybody else? Hey, yes, I'll use it. Alligators are aggressive because of an enlarged medulla oblongata. It's the sector of the brain which controls aggressive behavior. That is correct. The medulla oblongata. Mama? The medulla oblongata is where anger, jealousy, and aggression come from. Is there anybody here can tell me where happiness comes from? Anyone? All right. Let's hear what Mama has to say on the subject. Mama say that happiness is from magic rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. (laughs) Well, folks, Mama's wrong again. (laughs) No, Colonel Sanders, you're wrong. Mama's right. <laughs> All right. Mama's right. Mama's right. Something wrong with his medulla oblongata. <laughs> it's 
Coach Klein said I could. Mr. Coach Klein said I could. It's fine. Okay, you're going to have to forgive me. I just think that's hysterical. I'm sorry. I'm not, I may be a little carnal on that. But I, you know what? It's, it's just funny because, I mean, how many of you feel like that guy at times? You know, it just pen up and you're... I mean, if you really, have you ever been in a conversation where, now let's just, let's cut to the chase and, and not over-spiritualize this. Have you ever just wanted to knock someone's block off? I mean, come on. I mean, real, let's be real here, okay? And, you know, the last thing on my mind is, okay, Lord, Matthew 18, Matthew 5, and hello. And so uh, what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that that adrenaline and all that that's flowing and, you know, the testosterone and, you know, estrogen, does estrogen raise? I'm not a woman, so I... Dan, help. Okay, anyway. Raise it. I don't know, would that be a cat fight? I have no idea. I'm going to stop that one right there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Anger. So anger. Now let me ask you this. Is anger a sin? No, anger is not a sin. Now I, as a kid, I used to think that anger was a sin because, you know, I'd go zero to 60 on my anger. But it, what I've learned is anger is a secondary emotion to the primary cause. And here's where most anger stems. It is from unmet expectation. I give you a, uh, I have an expectation, you don't meet it, therefore I get angry. And so uh, how, do we, how do we get conflict resolution when I let you down, when you let me down? And how do we go about resolving that issue? Because, you know, it's kind of like the white elephant in the room. If, if you come in and, and no one addresses that, and there is a time and a place. There's a time and a place, and, and you'll learn the difference on this. There's a time and a place to address the white elephant, and there's a time and a place to not address it and let it marinate for a while, and we're going to talk about that because every situation is different. And welcome to the spirit-led life. That's why we don't build the doctrine that says you need to fight and knock everybody's block off every time you see them, you know, if they do something wrong. On the other hand, you don't sit back and let someone run roughshod over your emotions. Do you understand this? We have to be spirit-led. And Jesus clearly was that. It's interesting. I mean, I've tried to over-scripturalize and analyze this, but when Jesus said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, and you brood of vipers, you snakes, I, I just don't see how he said that soft. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, uh, you brood of vipers, you brood of vi- Hello? I think that was pretty in your face, would it not be? I mean, it's pretty much, and, and when you follow and you track the life and ministry of Jesus, he gave him grace, gave him grace, gave him grace. They kept trouncing on him, trouncing on him, trouncing on him. He kept offending him on purpose. I love it because Jesus picks a fight. And he says, this will not stand. He said, woe to you. You do all this, you put heavy loads on people. But you don't do and follow the true spirit of the law. And so Jesus knew and understood anger because the Bible says he was fully God, he was fully man. That means he understood what you and I feel when we're in conflict. Very key. So what are the biblical steps to conflict resolution? Let's put those on the screen. Number one, without a doubt, number one thing we need to do is pray. And when, when you're in that situation, uh, I, I find myself immediately when I'm escalating, uh, and I mentioned this earlier that my wife is, was, uh, in fact, she's back there in the, in the uh, children's area right now, but uh, she'll be up here in 15, for 15 minutes in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I told, I apologized to my father-in-law in the first service. I said, Jerry, now this is a newsflash, but I have not treated your daughter perfectly. I know you think I have. I know you think I'm the greatest husband, in the, you know, but I said, here's the truth. I put your daughter in tears before as a pastor too, not just, you know, when I, because you don't become a pastor and get perfect. Hello? So 
<laughs> and so, you know, he is, like I said, six foot four, 220 something pounds. And I rest my case. Here's the point though. Um, when Hope and I are engaging, and we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks. When, when I don't meet her expectation, when she doesn't meet mine, I'm not going to tell you how we resolve that conflict yet. Cause you have to come back in two weeks to find out how that happens. But one of the things, uh, the, the, the outgrowth of that is, is one of two things happen. Either I storm off in the other room or she's in tears. Is that familiar to anyone? Anyone at all? Am I the only one here that's ever happened to? Okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, the point is, is that, is that over the years we've learned how to fight, how to negotiate, how to understand and empathize. And yes, dear, that understand exactly how you feel i know how that makes you feel and i don't understand why it doesn't even feel it's always feel no here's the seven steps to fixing it that's how guys act right <laughs> here's the seven steps to fix it this is what you do blah, 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 blah. you guys are quiet am i reading your mail or what you know come on so no but the the first thing we do and i got off on a tangent and i'm sorry pray number one pray seek god's word on your issue that's number two Seek God's word. I promise you, if you're dealing with an emotion, look up the word anger in your concordance of your Bible. There'll be plenty of scriptures that you can look at. If, you, if you're dealing with fear, look under fear in the concordance of your Bible and you can deal with that. But seek God's word on the situation, on how to resolve conflict. We're going to talk about a bunch of those scriptures today. So the first one for the believers. Now this is in a, in a situation, interpersonal conflict with believers only. This is not, if you do a Matthew 18 with someone who doesn't know Jesus, they're going to look at you like, who are you? Because Matthew 18 was written for interpersonal conflict for church people. Say church people. Okay. Now, it can apply to other people outside the church, but, and you can use the principles, but really the expectation, Jesus is holding his church to a higher standard, and shouldn't he? So... If I've got a problem with you, you've got a problem with me. Instead of telling nine other of your friends about, well, the nine ways that you upset me, maybe do you think it's a good idea you should go to the person that upset you? Because that's what Matthew 18 says in Scripture. Let's go to that. Here's what it says. If your brother wrongs you, go and show him his fault between you and him privately. If he listens to you, you've won back your brother. But if he does not listen, take along with you, one or two others, so that every word may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him to be you as a pagan and a tax collector, which in Jesus's day, a tax collector was not well esteemed because, well, I'm not going to use any kind of IRS references at all. I'm just going to just let that one camp in your brain. Fair? But the point is they weren't do we have any IRS people that work here, by the way? Okay. All right. Anyway, by the way, I was, if, 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 I, if I'm preaching a little harder today, if you get to know me, I'm a grace, grace, grace. I'm a 15th chance guy. I'm a love you up, six ways to Sunday guy. But today, the Lord put an anointing on me so hard, I'm going to hit you right between the eyeballs. I really apologize in advance, but that's what I've got to do. Okay? You see that? This is going to be a tough one. So anyway, question to ask yourself. Do I want to die on a hill for the situation that I'm in? And what I mean by that is, is this a place that will not stand? So when I'm praying and I'm asking about the situation, if I've done something wrong to someone or they've done something wrong to me, uh, do, is this a battle that I need to fight today? Is it a battle that I need to fight in the future but wait? Do I die on a hill for this issue versus letting it go? 
Because there are times and in, in, in places where people will pick at your flesh, pick at your flesh, and that's their issue. You give it to God and not pick a fight. You understand the difference? There's a huge, subtle difference in that situation. It's why we need spiritual discernment. Now, it happens to spiritual leaders. Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts, they had a sharp dispute over a young man named John Mark who was part of their ministry. Paul was let down. He had an unmet expectation that John Mark didn't meet. He had a ministry expectation that John Mark didn't meet. And so Barnabas is saying, come on, Paul, give him a break. You know, we're all human. Paul didn't trust him. They went their separate ways in a sharp dispute. Now, what's interesting in the scripture, eventually you can see that that issue, or at least the feelings were resolved. But see, time and God heal wounds. Time doesn't heal wounds. Time can help create more wounds. I'm preaching better than you're responding today. I said time can heal wounds, but only with God. That's key. Time, time without God does not heal wounds. Proverbs 25, 28 tells us something about our boundaries. Say boundaries. Boundaries are important. Proverbs 25, 28 says, He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. I'm going to follow that up with Proverbs 4. Uh, we'll put that up there. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That means that, number one, if we're letting stuff and vomit and people's junk just contaminate us because we're trying to fix them, solve them, and help them get better, let me say this to you. You are not their Holy Spirit. Let me say this again. You are not their Holy Spirit. Let me say this again. You are not their Holy Spirit. You can't fix them. You can't. It, it's all between them and Jesus. But what you can do is you can point them to the one who can fix them. And sometimes that means setting a boundary. That's saying if someone comes to you, let's say, let me give you an example. If I said to Dale, Dale, when you come over to my house, I refuse, I, it really bugs me if you say sphygmomanometer. So just don't say sphygmomanometer when you come to my, that's all I ask, we'll fellowship, we'll hang out. If Dale comes to my house three times and visits and says sphygmomanometer the first three times, I don't even know what a sphygmomanometer is, I'm just throwing that out there. But if he does that, what has he done? He's violated my boundary, right? It's my house. I have a right to set that rule. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but I don't like sphygmomanometer. Thank you for playing, Dale. I appreciate it. Uh, I still don't know what sphygmomanometer is, and I can't even say it right, I don't think. But Okay, so the point is, is that there's boundaries that we have a right to set. Now, that's a joking example, but let's say, let's get on a practical level, a little more serious. Let's say that there's something in your past that you have told someone that that's under the blood and that's forgiven by Jesus. And you have a voice vulture that comes there and wants to pick at that sucker and, 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 and make you feel lousy and put... Are you hearing me on this? Okay? So what we have to understand is, is that, that, first of all, they've just violated your boundaries. And if you don't take a stand on that and pick a fight on that, they'll keep doing it. Set a boundary. Amen? Set a boundary. I told you I was going to be a little tough today. But it helps because what happens is if you don't, you begin in a codependent relationship. So really, if that person runs roughshod on you, whose fault is it, that person or yours? It's yours. And so that's, that's a key component. Now, all of us come with, and I use this example too, uh, I took life skills. Anybody taking life skills here at all? It's a great, it's a great program. Uh, it helps. It's very biblically based. But the, the one illustration I just loved talked about a computer. A computer, when it's, you know, birthed and formed in a, in a, in a manufacturing plant or whatever, is, it runs smooth. It's great. But what happens when viruses get in there? It starts slowing down. It takes longer to, to get the thing to work. And, 
you know, then you get frustrated and maybe you want to slap the computer screen and in the name of Jesus rebuke the viral demon out of it and hello. So, or, or you can just get it fixed. But okay, we're kind of like computers. We get viruses and things and ways of life, upbringing things, uh, baggage from our past and somebody presses that button and we escalate zero to 60. We want to scream it, stuff it, or we need to resolve it. And so uh, one of the things that I learned about computers is, is once you clean it out, they seem to run fast. And so the word of God is that cleanser. It can get in you. It can change you. It can take things that, that were the piggiest parts of you and make a difference in your life. I can remember I had a hole in my heart the size of Texas back in my drinking days. I, and that's why I didn't put the plug in the jug. But I can tell you that once I got revelation of that the word of God really works and, and I understood that my significance wasn't in what I did but in who I was, then I began to give people some grace because God gave me grace. Because remember, for God so loved the world. Remember that? For God so loved the world. So when I began to understand how, who I was in Christ, then my expectation of you, I gave you more grace. And so uh, over time, I didn't trigger as fast. I mean, I'd go, I was that guy, you know, zero to 60 and, and level you, I mean, emotionally. And it, by the way, it wasn't about resolving conflict for me. It was about winning to the point where as long as I was right, that's all that mattered. I don't care if I ran roughshod over you and anyone else or your feelings. It was all about winning. Anybody ever been in that mode before? I want to win the battle, but you wind up losing the war. And I'm telling you, that's not, that's not a place that we need to be. It's not about always being right. You can be right and speak the truth in anger, in hate, not in love. You can speak the truth, but it may not be in love. Now, what I'm attempting to do today is, is to uh, let God speak to, to you through me, truth, in love. You need to set boundaries. Amen? You need to set boundaries. Because if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. And I believe this is what we call a spirit of intimidation. I believe when the rubber meets the road and we're facing that conflict and that big 800-pound gorilla staring you right in the face and you're saying, it's never going to be fixed, God. When you're thinking that, feeling that, going through that, understand that Jesus felt what you felt. He faced the cross. That's pretty scary, I think. And he felt what you felt. But he put his flesh under subjection. And what did he do? He always listened to the Father. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of his divine privilege. That means he had to play by the rules that you and I played by. That means when he faced anger and he said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, he handled it the way the Father in heaven would handle it. Do you understand the same power that raised him from the dead? You have. So you can resolve conflicts. You don't have to live defeated. Now, uh, as I said, uh, I'm the type of guy that, you know, I, by nature, was a people pleaser. It is very difficult for me. I'm just, can I be real? It is very difficult for me to hit you with a hard between the eyeballs message because I'm a grace 15 chance guy and I want you, here's the secret, I want you to like me. Now, the unhealthy part of that side and, and uh, you know, I have a great mentor and, you know, Pastor Arnie, but he, he can, in, in, in Jan too, you've brought about tremendous correction with me, have you not? And it's not always, she's, I mean, it's through the crosshairs, but it works, doesn't it? I mean, if you enabled certain things in our ministry, it, it it would be to our detriment. 
You're doing it out of love, aren't you? And so uh, we need those people in our lives to just cut it straight and tell us, you know, where the truth is. But here's my, here was my biggest issue. Because uh, my significance was in what I did back then, that was the lie. Because my significance was in what I did and not who I was, I had an unhealthy need to please people. Has anyone done that? I was a terrible people pleaser. Terrible. To the point where, I mean, I could be completely right about something and I'd say, I'm sorry. And I'd apologize for something I didn't do. Why? Because I wanted you to feel better so that you would, the, the, the message is, you'll feel better about me. So really, isn't that selfish? I mean, it's all about me and I want you to view well of me. And so, oh yeah, even though you stole my laundry and you took my shirt off my back, I don't want you to feel bad. So I'm sorry. How wrong is that? And, and you know, I mean, come on, we need to be a people with guts. We need, to have, we need to be a people of God. This is our time. This is our town. This is, I mean, I love that video that we play our vision sometime because, you know what, it takes guts to do the work of God in our lives. It takes guts to, to take a stand when, when the chips are down and the world's saying it's all going crazy. And you say, but my God supplies all my needs. This will not stand. But if good people don't do good things to destroy the works of the devil, then evil wins, correct? Now, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, won the war. He won the war on the cross. That means the finished work, we have victory. But you can not operate in that victory, and you can lose many, many battles if you don't put on your spiritual armor and use your spiritual weapons. And one of that is the Word of God, so that when you're in a conflict and you need to do a Matthew 18, you're hearing real clear. Because I know people that want to solve that sucker. That I've had people bomb me with emails because I don't want to let my, son, my you know, anger go down on my wrath. So I get like seven emails, five phone calls, all in one day. Would you say that's healthy? I'd say it's triggered, is what I would say that is. And so... Uh, if I was to, first of all, that person had a problem with me, not me with them. But my cell phone and, and my email and all that, that's for my convenience, not yours. So we need to let, understand that that's my boundary. By the way, I've talked about, you know, if you call it 5 to five to 7.30, chances are on a weekday, I'm either helping Hope out with the kitchen or things of that nature. And I mean, if it's an emergency, I'm all over that. I'm, I'm there for you. But, you know, if it's just a, you know, talk shop, I, chances are it, it's for my convenience, not your. My family is more important than you. I apologize. No, I don't apologize. That's just, that's just a fact. Just a fact. That's a boundary. Oh, but pastor, you've got to solve the 9,000 problems I went through. Really? Go to the Word. And by the way, use the body, because my job is to equip you to go about doing good and destroying the works of the enemy. I'm not the answer to all your problems. I'm a flawed guy just like you. What I've learned is, is that I rely on him. Now you start doing it. You go, you do. And let the body be the body. Conflict resolution. Now here's the last thing I want to close with, this story. How many of you heard of Elijah and Jezebel? Ah, a few of you, okay. So here's the thing about Elijah and Jezebel. It's in the story, 1 Kings in the Bible. 1 Kings uh, 18th and 19th chapter. Here's the thing I want you to know about Elijah. Elijah was a man of God. Elijah loved God. He operated in significant supernatural power. I mean, crazy stuff happened. And in one confrontation, he stood up to the king, Ahab, in that culture. And he said to Ahab, we're going to see a test whose gods 
win this showdown. And he stood up against him and he said, this isn't right. Your Baals and your Asherah poles, those things will not stand. My God's bigger than your gods. And by the way, how many of you understand there's only one God? Okay, so he goes toe to toe. I mean, he's, you know, they're building altars for the sacrifice that they're both going to call fire down from heaven. Now that took guts. Now here's the interesting thing. God shows up in a miraculous way. The fire comes down. Everybody, he's killing priests left and right. He's taking back ground. He's winning, 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 winning. So then we get to verse 1 in chapter 19. Now read this. Now watch this. Verse 1, it says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, that would be the king's wife, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the God strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Stop. Now what's interesting is, keep in mind that Elijah has just had significant victory after victory, correct? One word from this woman, through a spirit of intimidation, one word, watch what happens. Verse 4, verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba. Now stop right there. I'm not even... He fled. He just annihilated all of the... With the power of God and he fled. How many of you have had victory after victory after victory, but one little voice vulture says in your head that you're meaningless and you go all up in arms over it and cower? Guess what? That's, that's me. That's you. That's what happens. But we have a power greater, right? We can take a stand. If the God of, of Israel, the God of... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God who is Jesus Christ can deliver you from one. Can he deliver you from all? So th this is important, but watch what happens. Elijah loses his way. He begins to listen to this spirit of intimidation. And then in verse 4, it says, Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Christians, I am telling you, you need to rise up. You need to know who you are. You are not defeated. You are not pity-potted. You, you are not what that word says. Some of you have been dealing with that spirit of intimidation. It's going right now. So I want your heads bowed and eyes closed. I want your hand up right now. If that spirit's dealing with you, raise it right now. Thank you, Jesus, all across the room. I knew it. I knew it. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you're a people pleaser, raise that hand. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, for imparting grace and truth. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you listen to the voice vulture that says that you're rejectable and you're dealing with rejection, raise your hand. Wow. And it's an unhealthy rejection. You've entertained that and you've camped on that and you've received that. God's telling you right this. You are mine and you are valuable. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's all of us repeat this prayer. Father in heaven, I am worthy because your son died to make me worthy. I'm yours. I am more than a conqueror. I am empowered, equipped to go about doing good and destroying the works of the devil. I have confidence in you to resolve my conflicts. I will stand up and fight for truth. I will give grace as I've received it. 
I will be your child, victorious, living free of fear. I trust you to reconcile relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what I want to do now. I want to take that bucket right there. I've got two books. Oh, we've got those books over there as well. Two books called Boundaries. I read this, helped change my life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draw one right here. I'm not going to look. I want to bless somebody with this. Who did I draw? Kathy Tun. Are you here? No, Kathy? Is she in here? Okay, well, she's here. Okay, I'll give, I'll give her one. And then I want to draw one more here. Paulo Diaz, are you here? Paulo? Okay, we'll get her. We'll get Kathy. We'll get you this book. Uh, is Paulo here? Not here? Let me draw another one. Carlos and Laura Inda, are you here? Right back here? Okay. I want to make sure that we get you this book here too. Now, here's, what I, here's the last thing I want to tell you. You've just prayed that prayer. You've just said that I'm going to allow the Lord to deal with my problems. And yet you're not going to allow these things to own you anymore. What I want you to do is get in this word and start looking up your rights as believer. Find out what Jesus really died for you to give you. you do you know you have rights as believers to take a stand? And so I, I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to come back next week and bring a friend. Next week, we're going to talk about workplace issues, authority issues, how honoring authority can literally transform your life. Because I don't know if you know this, but this town and this culture challenges authority all the time. There's a very critical spirit. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that all of you are. I'm saying that there is a spirit here that we need to deal with. Amen? So let's do that. Let me pray over you and then we'll, we'll send you out. Father, thank you for the word. Help it, help it to resonate in their hearts. Help them to receive it as they go out and apply it in their everyday life. Father, anything that it was my flesh, remove and just, just help what, what your truth was to impart into their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.